Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, we're all just bozos on the bus. Why Buddha left his wife. And chocolate nipples. <laughs> this is Obstacle Course. Here we go. <laughs> and chocolate nipples. So Andrew, what did we talk about today? Well, that's one of the things. We, it came up. We talked about sex, which apparently people don't talk a lot about, at least maturely. No. A lot of locker room talk, a lot of like, you know... Goofy talk, but not a lot of sitting down really talking about sex. When do we actually have that conversation seriously with our partners or with ourselves? Right. Um, And and what is the cost of that? Yeah, absolutely. And we we got into all that today, folks. Um, But I want to start by doing something I don't do near enough and it's bragging. So here it is. Um, 30 days today, buddy. Yeah. 30 days today I've meditated in a row. And if you know me, listeners, and you probably think you do if you've listened to all the episodes, but that is huge for me. And I know you're even slightly impressed, Andrew. Sure, yeah. Th- 30 days. That. Apparently, that's 400 minutes. Nicely done. Yeah, so I, I'm on Headspace, folks. If you're looking for, for a good way to wake up in the morning, Headspace is an amazing app. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's meditations for everything. There's ones just based on, like, exercise, anxiety, anger. I mean, you name it. Those are just the A's, you know. Uh, what does this have to do with sex? Well, the thing is, is... As Cheryl says, or Dr. Cheryl says, sex begins in your head. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that was one of the biggest takeaways from this whole episode is how can we expect to be there, to truly be there in the moment with our partner if, if we can't even be there in a moment at any time? Yeah. And, and, and that's really at the heart of, heart, heart of Buddhist teaching and really the heart of meditation is to teach you to be in that moment. And, and uh, let me tell you, man, starting every single day, with learning to be in the moment, I've caught myself now, like caught myself later in the day when I would usually say something maybe slightly offensive or egocentric or just miss something that Angie was saying or or miss something, you know, at work. I actually catch myself now. I stop and then I I, I, I take it in and and I'm present. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is it's totally working. And if anyone else out there is struggling to like pay attention or you're like, I'm so ADHD, it really does work. Take the 10 minutes in the morning and do it, folks. Um, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And it turns out it has everything to do with the topic today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's Cheryl wrote Buddha in the bedroom. Uh, there's there's a lot of parallels that can be made between mindfulness and a, and a healthy sexual part of your relationship. Um yeah, and, and Headspace is fantastic. It's how I learned how to meditate as well. And it's a, it's a program that, yeah, you can pay $70 a year, but you can actually learn and then you don't need it anymore. So it's not something that you just require a, a lifetime subscription for. It gives you tools for, for mindfulness and for well-being in, in the bedroom and, and in every facet of your life. So congratulations. 30 yeah, days thanks, well man. spent. That's all I was waiting for. I was waiting for that. <laughs> okay, yeah. I got a congratulations from Andrew and I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> there you go. Um, this episode is amazing. It's, it's full of incredibly rich content. Cheryl is a, a wealth of information about Buddhism and sex, which you'll learn how those two things come together. And uh, you'll get a lot out of this episode, I guarantee. And it's funny because she kind of got a little bit of flack in the beginning for even combining those two things. Because often people think Buddhism is all about eliminating desire. Desire is wrong and sex yeah. is like almost the ultimate desire. But what you learn is Buddhism is about awakening to desire. For and when sure. you're fully awake, you'll be really fully awake. And we talked about getting fully naked and then getting really naked. Yeah. And there's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Cool. Dr. Shale Fraser, everybody. You're going to love it. Thanks, everyone.
I want to want to take the opportunity here to say thank you so much for being here, Dr. Cheryl Fraser. Uh, we're we're thrilled to have you on today, and it's going to be so much fun. So welcome to Obstacle Course. Oh, it's a delight. I'm really excited to get into some fascinating stuff with both of you and the listeners. Yeah, totally. So a place that we were thinking about starting is is going back in time. You, you just mentioned to us this was 2001, the last time you were maybe in uh, in the live studio with the microphone, at least yeah. on a regular basis. Um, do you want to take us back to to when you uh, when you worked in radio, if if you don't mind transporting back just a couple of years? Goodness, well. In 2001, uh, in Vancouver, the locals will maybe remember radio station 1410 Fun, And they decided <laughs> to do this really, uh, at the time, radical model and create the first ever in North America talk radio station geared at women. Because talk radio was for men. It was sports. It was this. It was that. It was, you know, fixing your freaking car or whatever. Um, and so they did, sport, they did talk radio for women on this, this radical new model. Long story short, they looked for a psychologist who was uh, allegedly funny and could answer questions and do live radio and a whole bunch of people kept recommending me mm. so uh, I had a background I, I, I was an improviser I used to be part of theater sports Vancouver and do improv comedy and trained as an actor and then got my PhD in psychology and a bunch of other stuff so I had a bit of a weird conglomeration of skills so they hired me and get this every night guys I had a three-hour radio show Monday through Friday 15 hours a week live and it was a new model of talk radio where you were not allowed to have any guests hmm. let that sink in yeah. 15 wow. hours of live radio a week with no guests and just you you don't even have a co-host just no. me so and just reading the phone book oh it was freaking oh I made stuff up like you wouldn't believe because the model was phone in only they wanted me only talking to callers now brand new model and guess what our audience was kind of, you know, women say 30 to 50. Right. And my time slot was 6 to 9 p.m. Right. Think <laughs> Just about think about that. Yeah. What's a woman 30 yeah. to 50 doing between 6 and 9 p.m.? Exactly. Right? So no one called. <laughs> no. I had three-hour shows where I had two callers in three hours. Wow. So what did you do? Just... I made shit up. Yeah. Oh, wow. my goodness. But I made nice. up good shit because I, well, I was an improviser. So it would be like... I would just make it up. I'd be there. I'd be like, so Andrew just wrote in and he's asking a question about he and his wife used to make love three, four times a week. And now he's lucky if she's interested, you know, once a month, he wonders if it's him or I would just make up a question. I, love it. I would answer it. I would riff. And his I name would... was Andrew. I caught that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was crazy. It's so, all made up folks. Yeah. Um... But, yeah. So imagine the first week we're on the air live, the entire radio station is new. Every show is new. 9-11 happens. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. 9-11 yeah. happens. We're all new to doing talk radio. And yeah. I'm supposed to come on and give love and sex advice. And yeah. the Twin Towers have fallen that mm. day. And I'm like, okay, boss man, I don't care what you say. I got to keep it real. So I just talked about what was happening, mm. how people were feeling. Mm -hmm. What would your last phone call to your sweetheart been mm. if you'd been on that faded plane? It was so empowering i got calls that night people were hurting they were reaching out they were lonely and uh, we got a chance to have some real conversations mm. that were not about love and yeah. sex but were about being alive on the planet so yeah i did that gig for about a year 
mm-hmm. then I wanted to move back to Vancouver Island, and I was able to, to broadcast. Uh, they, they hooked me up. They were very generous that I could do the show from here. But I wanted to move on to other things, and it was time to move on. But it was a great experience being able to speak with so many different women. And what was really cool is men. Now, this was talk radio show for women, the entire station. But more and more men started calling in on Friday nights because on Friday nights for the three hours, I would do more explicit sexual material and we would have a disclaimer, you know, and um, I used to say off the top of that show because my now late grandmother was a big fan. You know, <laughs> Granny, if you're listening, I'd like you to not listen to <laughs> And then she said to me later, she said, Cheryl, I may be 83, but you know, I've lived a life. <laughs> Go, Grandma! So yeah, it was a pretty interesting time what, for sure. What do you think, if, if you could take a one piece of learning that if you could bring everything, boil it down to, to a, a big takeaway from that time, what might that be? You mean in terms of the audience's questions and concerns? Yeah, or just your experience there. Gosh, uh, couple of things, actually. So in terms of the audience, I would say the biggest takeaway is one that I still have all these years later as a psychologist and sex therapist working with people around such intimate and difficult issues is the three most important, accurate, and real words I can say to anyone is you are normal. Mm. You are normal. The amount of guilt and confusion and self-judgment we have, thinking our precise way of doing or not doing things. We haven't made love in six months, but we love each other. Are we totally broken? You are normal. Mm. So that's one takeaway in terms of the work in general. In terms of being on radio, I think the takeaway is that it's my absolute favorite medium. Mm. Mm, Maybe tied with live gigs. So when I'm talking to 200 people or 1,000 people in a room, this extraordinary opportunity six months or eight months ago to teach for Tony Robbins in Maui to his exclusive, uh, what he calls Platinum Relationship Program. You have to be part of his really exclusive club to go. But 300 couples, Mm. 600 people, six full days of working on your relationship and your sexuality. So live is tied for me with this medium, now podcast medium, back then talk radio medium, in that you can go much more deeply with people than you can on, say, television or in the written form. Um, So just taking away how much I loved the form, and it's a form I wish to get back to, the intimacy of what we're doing right now, particularly when you're able to to talk back and forth with with listeners, or in this case, the two of you. Um, I think it's a really profound way to make a difference in people's lives and, and educate and also entertain. Absolutely. Yeah. We agree. One thing you said was uh, when 9-11 happened and everyone started calling in about stuff not to do with love and sex, mm-hmm. but at the same time, everything to do with love and sex. Yeah. Right. Because obviously when the world's falling around around you, it's going to affect love and sex and they're all inter- intertwined. And I think it's even a good way to even begin this conversation is is these aren't separate areas of our life like they're they're part of our fully functioning life and that's really at the heart of what you talk about in in buddha's bedroom um with with um you know great sex kind of begins in the mind i believe yes. you say you know yeah. and, and intimacy begins in the mind and how it's it's all connected and so that, that's what i that's what i truly love about uh, where you went in, in the book is is how it's it starts as, um with a mindset and being present um, as opposed to just be like, all right, now's the time when I have sex. Now's the time when I'm romantic. Now's yeah. the time. And like, it's almost like a scheduled thing. It's like, no, that's like, we're alive where it's all connected. Um, and so people were calling you, you know, on a love and sex show because they felt like 
you know, I can't talk about love and sex until I can talk about the Twin Towers falling. Yeah, right? yeah. And it's right. a beautiful thing you're saying about the integration. And mm-hmm. if you don't mind, I'm just going to do a little teaching here around this Please. to reassure people that are listening. I teach two seemingly contradictory lessons around our sexual life and our intimate life. And just to contextualize this for everybody listening, first of all, I'm probably going to talk mainly about couples, but almost everything, if not everything I say, applies to you if you're single in terms of your solo sexual life, your own connection to your erotic energy. And yes, I mean masturbation there, fantasy, and our solo sexual pursuits by the way, that we also have if we're partnered, a lot of us as well. Secondly, um, I may use uh, examples that happen to be, because of the specific examples I'm thinking of, heterosexual couples. But of course, all of this applies to any two people who love each other, uh, trans, bi, uh, gay, lesbian relationships. And for that matter, maybe a different episode one day, the growing tiny movement of what's called consensual non-monogamy or polyamory, where three people are in a consensual loving, uh, committed to sexual relationships. So open to everyone, rainbow flags everywhere Absolutely. for everything Andrew, John, and I are talking about today. Yeah, thanks for saying that. Yeah, you betcha. So John just said, you know, is it accurate or you implied that a lot of people compartmentalize their sexual life away from the rest of their life? Oh, hells yes. And I would say that's one of the biggest difficulties. And this is based on research. Most everything I say is based on uh, sexuality and couples therapy research. I'm not just pulling it out of the ozone layer here. <laughs> um, but couples have a real longer term couples. Let me quickly define that. I would define a longer term couple as a couple who've been together more than 12 to 18 months or so. Why Mm. do I put a cutoff there? Well, it's not just me, it's science. When we fall in love, and I know the two of you are both uh, blessed to be cultivating relationships with extraordinary women. When you fell in love, I want you guys to think back. I want you literally to think back right now to the feelings you had when you were in pursuit. Mm -hmm. right? The excitement, the focus. You couldn't stop thinking about her. You were obsessively checking your, depending how long ago, answering machine or more recently (laughs) your text stream or your freaking Snapchats that I don't understand or whatever to see if they reached out. And what happened when you got a ping, or in my case, because I'm old, a (laughs) blinking red light on my cassette answering machine, right? I'd walk in and I'd look, is it blinking? Oh, he she called. I remember that, actually. I remember that. Oh, yeah. oh, super crazy. excitement. And then you check. It's like, oh, it's the plumber. I can come at 10 a.m. Damn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know how to fall in love. And when we're falling in love, there's a lot of lust. There's a lot of hope and dream and biochemistry. You may not know this, but the biochemistry of falling in love actually mimics the biochemistry of obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, Yeah, that's why we literally can't stop thinking about Uh, that. And it's such a heightened focus. You're at your your, your workplace and you're literally taken over by a rush of lust. Like your your, your loins are aflame. What if they're also at your workplace? Then you (laughs) get it on behind that hedge in the corner, of course, which we did. Everybody listening, I'm not going to ask you to disclose unless you wish to, gentlemen, but everybody think of some spontaneous, crazy outdoor sex you had when you were dating the person you loved. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Or in the boat or the whatever or the, you know, upstairs on the flying bridge of your dad's (laughs) boat when he was downstairs. I just made that one up. Don't look at me. (laughs) So falling in love, easy in a lot of ways. Staying in love takes mindfulness. Yeah. Staying in love takes intentionality. Staying in lust takes even more work. So there's a context for everybody. I'm calling longer term relationships, say 18 months or longer. 
second thing I want to say about compartmentalizing our sexuality away from the rest of our life. We don't do it on purpose necessarily, but because that drive that uh, I'm going to use some explicit language today to make sure people are clear on what I'm talking about, that horniness, that lust, being hard, being wet, the body is saying, I want sex and I want it now. We all love that feeling, but it tends to fade radically over that first 18 months because we're cave people, essentially. Mm -hmm. In that first 18 months, we're finding our mate we will conquer. And it's very <laughs> focused and very exciting, as we've all concurred. After that, it's time to decorate the cave and have cave babies and go, you know, I'm busy, honey. I got to go kill a buffalo for us all. And she's like, okay, I'll just invent fire while you're away because I'm tired of buffalo sushi, right? We got, we got shit to do. And that's more the companion part of relationship that most of us are in. If we're not careful, we never reignite that early lust, that early excitement, unless we do it deliberately. Quick teaching because this is so critical in the you are normal department for mm -hmm. couples and individuals. There are two types of sexual desire. This is not taught enough. Uh, there's a great book we can put in the show notes by Emily Nagoski called Come As You Are that pulls this research together beautifully. But the type of desire, the rip off your pants right now because we're going to you know, have wild sex in the boat or behind the hedge at work, is spontaneous desire, right? We love that feeling. And mm -hmm. I do like to say... Enjoy the hell out of it when it occasionally arises these days. Just enjoy the hell out of it. That was a, you know, I'm not a baseball person, but when you hit that ball over the fence and it's a good thing, <laughs> it's one of those. It's a, it's it's a, a Stanley lot. Cup, okay? <laughs> it's, it's going all the way. Yeah, it's rare, but it's awesome. But the second time type of sexual desire, and this is where everybody needs to sit up and take notes, it's called responsive sexual desire. Responsive sexual desire, as the term implies, is where your desire or arousal, meaning your mental interest in being sexual or erotic in some manner, or your physical interest, I'm horny, I'm turned on, I want to touch now, arises in response to other circumstances. And these circumstances can be as simple as it's Tuesday mm -hmm. and we decided at the least we will make love once a week, even if we're busy, tired and everything else. And we picked Tuesday. And in response to this commitment I've made to you, we go have a shower, we soap each other off, maybe somebody's mouth goes somewhere interesting on someone else. We turn each other on and we have a sexual encounter. And by that, I mean an erotic encounter. You might choose not to have intercourse. You might choose not to not have orgasms per se, but you're accessing sexual energy together. Other, I mean, there's almost limitless contextual cues that we can respond to and decide to become sexual it, because it's our anniversary or our birthday uh, because we're uh, pretty stressed and we know if we connect sexually and have some endorphin release through pleasure and or orgasm we're going to feel more calm well and that's a question that i have is, is like how critical is having those encounters to a healthy relationship not just in terms of like keeping connected, but in terms of like overall mental health and well-being. Tremendously important. So people listening, please don't get into, oh no, we're broken now. What I want you to get into, oh wow, I'm really curious about how to do better with my sexual life. Tremendously important to honor and nurture and make your sexual life, whether you're single or in a relationship, a priority. And by a priority, I mean you keep it alive on a weekly basis. You are being erotic once or twice a week minimum in some manner. Why is it important? Because 
research indicates the greatest predictor of mental well-being, longevity, and, and life satisfaction is having a quality romantic relationship. And mm. guys, what's the one thing, if we've chosen a monogamy model, mm-hmm. what's the one thing that sets your relationship with your partner apart from every other deep, profound, emotional friendship in your life? Tell me, what's the one thing that sets it apart? You get naked. You get naked. <laughs> Boom. One for the man on my right. And it's silly, but honest to goodness, there's a lot of people listening right now who love their partner. They're not looking to stray. They're in what I call marriage incorporated. I'll define that in a yeah, moment. Yeah, I love how you talked about that. And they haven't had sex or an erotic encounter in a month, mm. in four or five months, in a year, mm. in several years. Mm. I had a couple mm. in my uh, couples immersion online program at the beginning of this year. And they were about 40, 39, 40 years old. And they'd been together about 10 years. They had not had sex in seven years. They loved each other. They had a tremendous marital friendship. Uh, They were each other's biggest fan. And I I did an intervention with them through the program where, and they were very brave and lovely. We did this privately, not in front of uh, the group. And I asked them a question neither of them knew each other's answer to. And it was a very simple question. I said, you know, hey, person one, uh, do you have a masturbation life? And if so, how often? And this was a heterosexual couple. And she said, I masturbate about twice a week. And her hubby wasn't particularly surprised because she was the one who was who had actually purchased my program and said, look, I really want to do this with Cheryl. I want us to reignite our sexual life and we don't know how on our own. Hmm. Then I asked him if he had a masturbation life and he said, yes, I do about twice a week. And she started to cry, not because she was sad, guys, but because she was so relieved hmm. to hear that he still had sexual energy, hmm. to hear that he was still right. a sexual being, because yeah. this meant you and I together can find a way with Cheryl's There's help hope. to 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 move toward having some of that sexual pleasure together. Yeah. So, oh my goodness, is it important to prioritize your erotic life? And people might roll their eyes and say, oh, you're just sex obsessed. Oh, you're just, you know, not at all. This isn't a stupid Cosmopolitan magazine article or something saying, how to have mind-blowing organ. Like, it's just, that's just all bullpucky. I'm talking about love. I'm talking about connection. I'm talking about life force. You guys may know, but the word libido comes from the Latin and it means life force. Hmm. You're not fully alive if you're not accessing and liberating the power of your erotic being. And that's also what tantric sex is all about. We may get to that a little later in this conversation. Sounds a little more deep than just getting off. Absolutely. (laughs) And yet, I said I was going to teach two kind of contradictory things. One of them is that, and the other one is, and it's really good to just get off. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we don't want to be all fanciful about it either. Um, It's a, it's a, it's a tension release. It's yeah. a way to get out of our head for a few seconds. Only really a few seconds because the average male orgasm lasts seven seconds. And the average female orgasm 20. lasts 21 seconds. Good for you. Oh, I was you. off by one. Shoot. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, and, that's, and, and we all love climax orgasms, but we can talk about how to have more fulfilling orgasms as well. But I want to loop back. I don't want to leave anybody hanging on what marriage incorporated is. Yeah. Right. Also because so many of us, myself, included at times of course in my own relationship we fall into marriage or relationship incorporated which simply means 
you're doing a pretty good job of running your life and your family. You know, the kids are getting to school when they're school, more or less on time with shoes on. Uh, everybody's getting some veggies. The dog gets its teeth cleaned when needed. And if the brakes are squeaking, you take the car in and you get, you get it handled. You're paying the mortgage, the bills are getting paid, and you high five your sweetheart as you pass each other like ships in the proverbial night while he, she's dropping off one kid at one activity and he, she's picking up the other. Your incorporated marriage, your family, your life are, are going pretty damn well. But where are the two of you? Where is you and your sweetheart? Where are you and me in this scenario? Where are we carving out time to laugh together, to go for long walks and, and dream together about what we might do in the next two to five years or the next two to five weeks? Where are we creating opportunities to have deep erotic encounters? And while I really want people to get into a mind and heart space where they have a bit more spontaneous lust, that is pretty rare. So I also like people to be super intentional. As you mentioned off the top there, John, great sex is all in your head is one of my taglines. I want people to realize that they need to decide. Say what, Cheryl? Decide to make passion a priority. When I take people through my program, I help them develop over eight to 10 weeks what I call a passion plan. It's theirs. It's unique. But what are some mm. daily, weekly, monthly, and annual commitments? The annual one might be to go take a couple's immersion tantric massage workshop or go away for a romantic week without the children once a year. Making passion intentional is what's going to help you move from marriage incorporated to exceptional relationships. Yeah, you had a cool idea in there about like uh, partners taking taking turns planning a sexual experience. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you just think, what? You could do that? Like plan it almost like a vacation. Absolutely. Right? Like plan the, not necessarily the routes. But, you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but start like, with the left, left nipple and then you lick right, the yeah. armpit. You go that's clockwise or counterclockwise. Yeah, Siri, um, please give me the route to her <laughs> orgasm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, just, just that whole idea, of, and it makes me, it made me think, like, I think a lot of people need permission to be creative and to perhaps have sex outside the lines, so yeah. to speak. And, and perhaps part of this, and, and, and I probably know you're going to get to it, but... I can't help but think one of the greatest obstacles to a to a healthy sexual experience is shame. Yeah. And I think about shame, um, especially um, through religion. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, most people, you go back 100 years, most people were, were kind of religious. They were sort of connected to a religion, often Christianity, often one of the big ones. And most of those religions, you know, teach sex is something that really the woman does for the man. Mm -hmm. The man's in charge, the woman's subject to him. And that creates, I just think even that mindset, you say sex begins in the mind. Well, if you begin from that place, I can't imagine how, how you, you know, how that doesn't take you down a bad road. And we know it has. Right. And so I just, I, I would wonder um, what your response would be to your experience of how shame um, gets into a relationship and erodes it. Mm -hmm. And perhaps even the place that some of these higher truths we've we've learned um, have have almost perverted um, w what could be. 
So it's kind of a big question. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Let's dive in there. I want to reconceptualize the idea of shame and make it actually broader, John, because shame is a very specific thing that absolutely a lot of adults, uh, you know, male and female uh, and transgendered bodies and everyone can have some shame. But let's broaden it. Let's also just talk about general hangups. Yeah. You know, people who don't actually feel shame about their sexual urges as much as uh, discomfort or uh, vulnerability right. or, you know, lack of openness. So the whole, you know, kettle of fish about why I might feel some resistance or reluctance to be deeply open with you about what goes on in my in the annals of my darker, gorgeous, taboo sexual imagination. So yeah. I'm going to dive in and introduce a term I like to use here, which is dark sexual energy. And I don't mean dark in any bad way. I mean it in sort of the yin and yang symbol, this world of you know white and, and, and dark, that we need the light to illuminate the shadows of the mysteries inside us, the places where uh, there are things we may not be aware of that are powerful, that, that we can liberate, that are beautiful, that we can incorporate. And we need the dark for the light to really, really be in contrast. Totally. So, I mean, the taboo impulses that don't harm anyone. So it, it goes without saying, but nothing in my field goes without saying. So I'm going to say it. Any sex that is coercive, abusive, or harms any human or four-footed creature or any living being is not what I'm talking about when I talk about taboo. I mean, personal taboo. You know, uh, I, I, someone who loves to fantasize about having sex with in an orgy, they may or may not ever want to do that, but they feel really turned on as a masturbation fantasy or a fantasy when they're with their partner to think about, a, you know, a really graphic kind of pornographic, crazy orgy of joy. Um, that doesn't make you taboo in any bad way. It means it's something that you enjoy imagination is arguably the most important thing human beings have that as best we know may separate us from any other critter is the ability to imagine and to have imaginary experiences that are amazing. So let's bring this back and ground it. Taboo here I'm talking about is a positive part of a possible energy source, a beautiful, luscious, dark energy source. I'm going to drop an F-bomb now. Um, Sometimes If you're my partner, I want to have sweet, gentle, soul-shaking, loving, weeping kind of, I love you so much, babe, uh, lovemaking with you. But other times, I might want to fuck your fucking brains out like an animal and scream all sorts of things that I hope the neighbors don't have their windows open because they should not be hearing that unless they want to. Um, (laughs) This is where the majority of couples fall down is the ability to begin to integrate different parts, the yin and the yang of their sexual being. So shame, repression, my goodness, all we need to do is check the media to find a celebrity or a politician who has cut off their taboo sexual energy and um, unleashed it in a place that's not wholesome, oh, yeah. uh, that harms, be that uh, sexual abuse, rape, be that uh, sex trade workers, betrayals, affairs, etc. So. I'm a psychologist. I know what happens when we repress powerful energy and don't deal with it, as opposed to coming to know it and not be frightened of it. So what does this mean for, you know, Joe and Jane, Jane and Jane, John and John couple out there? It means, I like to take people through processes. Uh, Some people can jump in the deep end, which is amazing, but often two people aren't at the same level of being able to jump in the deep end and say, hey, Let's just strip strip ourselves, you know, uh, emotionally naked and tell each other our darkest fantasy, the one that we're afraid our partner might think is weird. 
Mm-hmm. Instead, um, some people go right there. It's beautiful. I support them to do that. Others, I take through a process where they they come up with one of their own sexual fantasies and they write it out like a script or like a story. And then they decide in time whether to share that with their partner. And they can choose something that's maybe on the um, less extreme side of their inside taboo gorgeousness and creativity and, and what they love to think about. Even though, let me repeat, fantasies are literally that. Most of us do not in actuality choose to act out our fantasies. Uh, the, the more, you know, things, the more, shall we say, um, challenging ones. Uh, but we can certainly enjoy sharing it with our partner as an idea and maybe talking dirty about it while we're having sex and using it as a turn on. But this is pretty advanced stuff and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be advanced that we're afraid to share with the person we love and trust the most on the planet mm. some of our inner fantasies about sexuality, fantasies about wanting to dominate or be dominated in a loving, consensual way, fantasies about, you know, wanting to to, to play act something as simple and almost cliche, and it shouldn't be cliche, as, you know, I'm speeding and you're the big bad cop who pulls me over and you're going to say, well, here's your punishment, baby, and that (laughs) sort of thing, right? right? These are, these are playful, beautiful ways to, to, to begin to reignite that type of spontaneous desire that we've lost because of familiarity, marriage incorporated, and uh, not being very creative at all. And you mentioned people kind of, uh, I can't quite remember how you put it, but I was thinking of a phrase I often use, which is we get very pedestrian and boring in our sexual life. And I call that the typical North American sex life is nipple, nipple, crotch, good night. You've got this routine and everybody laughs when I say that because we're all like, guilty, totally relate to that. What's wrong with nipples? Yeah, nothing. But you know, the same beautiful meal night after night, year after year, you're like, I used to love love this you know um, you know tofu with peanut sauce and now I it's, it's pretty boring so the lack of creativity the lack of effort we are such lazy lovers most of us mm. such lazy lovers uh, we're kind of tired we're thinking about something else even if we're like oh this is great that was fun I like to challenge people when's the last time you licked the back of your partner's knees You know, when we were falling in love, we would explore nooks and crannies. We would tease. We would drive them wild in our own unique ways back then. We made more effort. We tried different positions. Some sometimes they went, "No, nah, I don't think I want to do that." And we said, "Okay, that's cool." And yeah. then we never talked about it again. Yeah. That position that they said the seventh time we made love, they didn't want to try anal sex or something. We went, "Okay, totally respect that." And we never brought the conversation up again. Yeah, you talk in the book about slow sex, mm-hmm. and, and I think that that's super relevant in our fast-paced culture. You know, um, like sex isn't the place where you should necessarily be efficient. Yeah. Right. yeah. Unless it's, it's 10 minutes till you have to get up, right. then quickies are awesome. And, and, and it can be, right? But but there, but you, you even have a phrase in your book where you're like, you know, when's the last time you lingered, you know, on the nipple for 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, that's when, when, when was the last time? Ask, ask anyone that question, right? right. And it's, it's like 15 minutes. That's like, I don't even last 15 minutes. You right. know, what do you mean linger for 15 minutes? And so just beginning to expand our, our horizons and our minds yeah. that there's so much more. And, and this starts with, like you said, that's why you combine the Buddha with the bedroom. Yeah. Right. It is, 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 I think people almost need the Buddha first. You know what I mean? Like, like to, to ask somebody who's who can't even focus for a minute without picking up their phone to be present 
you know, for 15 minutes on their partner's nipple is probably yep. a big ask. Yeah, bingo. Right? And, and so that's why I love how you start by saying, like, it starts in your mind. And I did see it a bit ironic, but I know what you're saying, is um, how, you know, you talked about the story of, of Siddhartha, the Buddha, yep. right? Who was married and had a child and he had to leave them in order to find enlightenment and then yeah. he never came back you know what yeah. i mean and and i love how um it's it's a little ironic just because then you're they're using that example of buddhism how it can better your relationship um from a guy who had to leave his relationship in order to find love en- that enlightenment love that. you know what i mean but but what you're saying is is um you can kind of leave in your mind but then come back and make it even better yeah which, and which I'm, I love. I'm so glad you brought that up most people don't even think of that and it was one of the things i wrestled with when i titled the book buddha's bedroom yeah um because Theravadan Buddhism, we're not going to get into a super huge class about Buddhism right now, but uh, the type of Buddhism taught by the historical human being who is called the Buddha, Siddhartha Buddha, who was a Buddha, an enlightened being. Luckily, Jesus Christ was an enlightened being and what we call a Buddha in a certain language and uh, many, many other people. That style of Buddhism, which is one of three main styles, would promote celibacy or there were times where the Buddha did speak to lay people, non-monastics, non-monks and nuns, and say, you know, to kind of have a wholesome, uh, ethical relationship with your partner, meaning no cheating, no lying, no coercion, etc. Um, but that's that's an important point to make mm-hmm. for exactly the reason you're making it. But I also am a uh, 25-year student and um, I've been given permission to teach within a certain Tibetan lineage where sexuality is considered an energy source that you can use in meditation to help get into profound states of uh, meditation and mm. help you understand the nature of reality. Oh, so yeah, it's a great point because um, even uh, Jack... Cornfield, one of the, the greatest Buddhist teachers of our age, when we were talking about him and his wife, my good friend Trudy, writing the um, introduction to the book, he said, you know, I can't, I'd be inaccurate to say that the Buddha taught sex advice. Right. He said, exactly. But what I get to in there is what the Buddha taught you about how to work with your mind exactly. and yeah. presence and focus and um, generosity and joy and bliss. And then I relate to that to can we bring this into our sexual relationship and guys this is a controversial idea in my book mm-hmm. i asked some other really um well-known buddhist teachers and, and and vaguely colleagues of mine and they declined to write a review they said i love your book i think it's super important but i don't want to get tangled up in the possible controversy hmm. what's yeah. a controversy yeah um how dare you talk about the buddhism buddhism and sex they're right. not the same thing. Right. They have nothing to do with each other. And that is wrong. Hmm. Because Buddhism, if we take it away from it being a religion and it being a practice of training your mind, it's about, and I'm going to get a little deep here real quick, but it's about stripping away all the illusion and understanding the actual nature of reality. It's about stripping away the stories, the fears, the resistances, and the confusions, and showing up with full heart, full presence, full open mind, open to all possibilities and serving from a place of profound love and generosity. Actually getting naked. Actually getting naked. That's a brilliant thing to say in your spirit, in your love. uh, Stop, you know, hiding behind your walls of story and fear of rejection. Hold yourself gently and say, I might get rejected. My sweetheart might Mm -hmm. cheat on me, leave me, Mm -hmm. say, I'm not interested in you anymore. I want, I want, 
to fall in love again and have those really fun feelings. And I don't want to invest what it takes to fall in love again with you and create those fun feelings. We all know that when we live in fear of something not going well, we don't achieve oh, yeah. anything near our yeah, possibilities sure. as humans. So I would say that's the type of Buddhism. Buddha means awake. It means that the word comes from Bodhi in the Pali language. It means to fully unfold. I'm using a gesture here in the studio like a <laughs> lotus that's uh, that's tight as a bud and then it unfurls. That's what Bodhi means. It means full awakening, full presence of the possibility of the lotus, which symbolizes you know a glowing mind and heart. So Yes, you can have sex like that. And a number of people, including my teacher, said, uh, I, can't, I think I say this in, in the preface, but I'll, I'll quickly say it, because I had decided to only teach Buddhism and what's called Dharma and to stop teaching sexuality and relationship. And I was at a retreat once with actually Trudy Goodman where they wanted a teacher because this particular Buddhist retreat was on the theme of real life Buddhism. So they had a day where they talked about Buddhism and finances and all your weird money resistances mm -hmm. and Buddhism and racism and privilege. And mm -hmm. then one day they wanted to talk about Buddhism and sexuality. None of the teachers would touch it with a 10 right. foot pole. Yeah. I was there as a student <laughs> and Trudy, who's a brave and a game woman. She said, well, I'll give it a go. <laughs> she gave a talk on sex and Buddhism and the crowd, which was 100 people in a two-year Buddhist training program, sophisticated meditators, sophisticated people, they freaked out. She got so much blowback, so mm. much like uh, criticism. They kind of tore her apart. And I'm in the audience saying, oh, Trudy, hang in there. Mm. I didn't know her at the time. It's the first time I'd met her. And then she said, hey, look, guys, she just handled it with such grace no defensiveness, just openness to the concerns, openness to the projections, people's sexual fears and triggers. And she said, you know, guys, sexuality is not my field. I'm a Dharma teacher. I'm a psychologist. If there's anyone here who happens that that's the expertise in your field, I'd love it if you'd come talk to me. And I'm sitting there going, I've retired from that. I'm just going to be a, a, a monk nun. I was single by choice. I was celibate by choice at the time. Yeah. Uh, I was, you know, going to India and long retreats. And I'm like, Oh, hells, but she asked for help. So I went up and I said, hey, my name's Cheryl and yada, yada. And I, used, I used to teach that. I'd be happy to give you some pointers about ways to maybe present it mm -hmm. and, and to deal with some of the resistance that you encountered, which anyone teaching this field will encounter. And she said, well, why don't you teach it? And I said, no, no, no. I don't <laughs> teach sex anymore. I just teach Buddhism. And she looked at me and said, why don't you teach both? Yeah. And I went, nah, nah, and dismissed it. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> because I then went to my kitchen duty at the Buddhist retreat. And I'm washing the dishes. And you're all meant to be in silence. It's quite taboo to talk to each other when you're doing the dishes. Mm. And I had three or four different people like creep up like mice and go, yeah. can I talk to you? Yeah. Can I talk to you? Right. The one thing I can't incorporate to my spiritual past is my sexual life. I've cut it off completely. Or I, I have a porn habit and I'm super, super, super ashamed. Or, or, or would you help me? Would you help my partner? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm happy to point you in some directions, but I don't do that anymore. Which all led to the epiphany on the mountaintop I talk about in the preface there. Mm -hmm. And this is a literal, factually accurate, uh, everything I try to share is not made up, of course. But I went on a blind date by accident about seven years ago. How do you go on a blind date by accident is the obvious question. <laughs> I'm a writer and I write columns for magazines and I was asked by an editor to write a, you know, how to online date article, which I'd written before. But at that time I was about three or four years out of 
out of practice with what the newer apps were, what some of the new online dating things were. So I needed to do a bit of research to get up to speed. So I go on and I'm checking out X and Y online dating sites and I want to do a quick search to see what sort of people are available on the different sites in our area so I can get a sense of you know quality of leads, I guess, from a marketing <laughs> perspective. And the one uh, said, you have to set up a profile before you can search. You know where this is going, right? I married him. (laughs) But anyway, I put up a, I spent five minutes putting up a profile. I put up one picture. All the things I tell people not to do if you're serious about getting a date. I'm a pretty good writer, so my profile was pretty funny. And then I do my search. I get my research and, and, and that's that. I go to bed. I get up the next morning and log in to cancel my profile so I don't get charged for a month or whatever. And there's five guys who've messaged me in the night and I look at all five of their profiles. I'm like, holy smokes, these are interesting enough men that I would go on a date with them, which surprised me because I had some limiting beliefs at that point (laughs) about the ability to find certain types of people in my small area. So here's why this becomes important, I think, in terms of what we're talking about. Uh, Two months before that fateful, I had to do an article on online dating. I was in a three-month tantric meditation retreat in Ontario. And I went for an interview with my teacher and I asked him a certain esoteric thing that doesn't matter right now. And he said, so if you want to take that training, you know, are there certain precepts you have to take, certain vows you have to take around ethics and how you're using your energy. And he said, so are you in a relationship right now? Because one of the vows you would take is I will only use my erotic energy with the person I'm I'm committed to, which we should all take that vow if we're committed. And I said, no, no, I'm not in a relationship. And he said, why not? It's my Buddhist teacher. I'm like, Hmm. none of your business. No. (laughs) And I said, well, because honestly, I find when I'm in a romantic sexual relationship, my mind states are crazy. I'm a lot more unsettled, a lot more neediness comes up, a mm. lot more, you know, dramatic stuff comes up. I'm a lot calmer. And honestly, in my late 40s at that time, I'm a lot happier than I've ever been. So mm. I've chosen the solo life. And he looked at me and he said, well, Cheryl, relationships are really important part of the path. So back to your original question about, you know, Siddhartha Buddha left his wife, celibate path to awaken his mind. Mm-hmm. My teacher is saying it's a really important part of the path, which is kind of a Cohen that he left me with. I dismissed it. A month later, I do the damn article. I do the damn Google. And after putting him off for two or three months, and he would occasionally email and say, hey, I know you're super busy, but if you're still into it, I'd love to get to know you. If not, no pressure. Because I was super busy. I wasn't planning to date. I had retreats to go on. I was teaching in the States. I literally couldn't meet this person for a date for two months. And then I went, okay, goddamn. I Google him. I got to drop someone off at the airport at 6 a.m. You want to meet for breakfast at 7? Figuring, (laughs) mic drop, that'll get rid of him. Yeah, well, now we're married. (laughs) The moral of the story is I had a limiting conceptual belief, which is the basis of Buddhist thinking. We split things into duality. We split it into subject-object. This is big stuff for another day, maybe. I believed it was either the spiritual awakening life of trying to Mm -hmm. uh, train the mind and heart to be fully liberated, completely immersed in all times in compassion and wisdom, nothing about Cheryl's ego, nothing about Cheryl's spiteful little ways of being, to just serve beings, just to help people also awaken. It was either that or kind of layperson life, which is not what the Buddha even said, if you know your your, your stuff. So um, thanks to Trudy and thanks to my my, my beautiful other teacher, Lama Mark, uh, I ended up, damn it, back in the mess with you people. 
trying to have a liberated mind when your sweetheart for the 50th time forgets to take the garbage out. Trying to have a compassionate view when your partner sees things differently than you do. We went kayaking three weeks ago. We took a a vacation in the middle of COVID crazy here. And we went on a wilderness kayaking trip off the the north of Vancouver Island, which is a place we're all privileged to call home. Whereabouts? You're speaking Andrew's language. Oh, off Port McNeil in the Broughtons. Yeah, around nice. Malcolm Island awesome. and Craycroft. I was just up in uh, in that general area. did a did a one night thing up there, but I'm planning on going on a kayaking trip tomorrow. Awesome! <laughs> yeah, I do, I do it all so. the time. And you're about to give advice on how to have sex in a kayak. I tell you, that's really sophisticated, <laughs> and, and, and I don't suggest it. Don't try this at all. Actually, our our, uh, our phrase that we try to stand by is "no wet exits," which <laughs> does, does apply. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. This was a big marriage test, you guys, because my sweetheart and I are novice kayakers. We've been out maybe eight or ten times paddling around uh, Maple Bay, little little quiet bay here that you guys know. And we've only done it in single kayaks, and you know what's coming. They put us in a double for the first time. And I thought, no sweat. Big guy's in the back. (laughs) You met him. He's about six foot. He's Uh a good eight inches taller than me. Surely he can see where we're going. (laughs) And for people who don't know double kayaks, the person in the back has the foot pedals that help steer you port yeah. and starboard or left and right. <laughs> uh, heart has got a little bit of d- dyslexia. He's never that good with left and right to start with. But I'm assuming this is where it all goes wrong. I'm assuming he can see over my pointy little blonde head and he can see the rocks we're about to you know, barrel <laughs> into at full speed. Uh, I'm assuming he can see our guide's kayak and rudder right in front of us that we're about to destroy. And I'm like, turn right, turn right. And he's like, what? What's happening? What? And 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 we argued. <gasps> it's true. It's true. The marriage expert completely embarrassed herself. I mean, we argued kind of quietly in kind of a frozen whisper voice. Sound carries over water, though. Oh shit! Does sound carry over water? <laughs> it does. Guilty. So. It was a little mayhem and the only saving grace. We were out with two couples we're friends with. We're all in the same bubble in terms of uh, COVID precautions and and the guide. And around the campfire that night, I felt so vindicated that the other two couples had the exact same problem. Because why? Because we forgot the other person has a different perspective. Mm -hmm. We forgot that our sweetheart literally can't see what we see some of the time. Mm. I want to have another baby. You don't. We're seeing it entirely differently. Um, I'd like to have fish tonight. I'd like to have chili. Mm -hmm. We can't see that you're a different human than I. It sounds stupid. We all understand that you're different. And so you have fish chili. Well, uh, jambalaya. Doesn't that sound? Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I like Andrews better because fish chili kind of made me throw up in my mouth. I know. Yeah, that's why I said it. I'm a pretty good visualizer, dude. And I just, you know, let me settle down. So... We've been talking a lot about sex, but please let me reassure everybody, I am not a foolish person who thinks that sex happens on its own, right back to where you started today. Sexuality is a better word than sex, really, is part of our being. And if we can't build a foundation of a loving, fun, playful relationship, where we can learn to handle conflict better. We can learn to de-escalate arguments more skillfully than I did in that damn kayak a few weeks ago, where we can learn most importantly to repair when we do screw up. Notice when we screw up with our partner, when we argue or say something unkind or worse or escalate. How do we repair? The programs I teach in the book goes through a similar structure 
is we spend the first two thirds of any immersion on all the relationship stuff. What is your perspective? What do you see from the back of the kayak that I'm not privy to? And instead of blaming you, misunderstanding you, making up stories about what a fool you are or how you don't listen to me or how if only around the world it would be a better place, that one might be true. Hmm. Um, I say, what's up with you, babe? What are you seeing? Can you teach me your reality right now? Because I'm not understanding it. And that's empathy, right? It's empathy, it's intelligence, and it's getting the hell out of our own way and remembering the way we see the world is literally based on where we're sitting. Right now, I have a different view of the room in your recording studio. I have a different view of different sides of both of your faces. I'm in a female body right now. You're in a male body right now. We grew up in maybe a similar neck of the woods, but with probably fairly damn different histories, different uh, abuse histories, if that's in there, different hopes and dreams, different Things that happen that made us build up certain restrictions in who we are back to shame, back to the difficulty being open. And it's absolutely idiotic to think just because I love you, you're like me. Hmm, right? For sure. So how do you know, you brought up in your book, um, the, the idea your partner cannot make you happy. And this is going back to the um, it's, it's all in your head kind of perspective. How do you know as someone who is struggling in a sexual relationship or is in a relationship and the sexual part of it isn't where you'd maybe like it to be, how do you know if it's the internal work that you need to do or if it's the the work with your spouse? Like mm. often, I mean, you, even talking about leadership, you need to know your purpose and, and have the have yourself centered um, and so, so you can be a proper leader and, and work with other people effectively. Um, how do you know what part of that uh, needs the work in, in your own relationship? It's a fantastic question, and I wish there was an easy answer, but I would say either or both, because one thing I challenge every listener and all of us to do is to know that we are 100% responsible for our relationship, 100%. So I do work with a number of couples, and I had uh, about four couples quote unquote that joined my last immersion program where they knew their spouse was not interested in doing it with them hmm. and they said will it be helpful and i said yes oh, doing the program or doing yeah it. like the, the, their spouse wasn't going to watch the videos the oh, teachings okay. with them every week okay. they weren't going to attend the coaching with gotcha. me they weren't going to attend like you know i really want to do this i want to improve our relationship reignite passion learn to communicate better i want to be exceptional and my partner's like not playing ball at hmm. all is it worth it and they said Yes, because one way to change a system is to change yourself, be that in leadership, team building, relationship, or as a parent. So, but I am also an overachiever and I like people to get fast results that last. So in the perfect world, it would be both, Andrew, where you'd be doing a lot of work on yourself. Where do I get triggered when sweetheart does X, Y, Z? How can I change the tone of my voice? As you may tell, I have a pretty expressive voice. So when I'm annoyed, if I'm not careful, it's like, Really? You didn't take the garbage out? Which is horrible. Yeah. It's actually, you know, balls crawl up, ball sacks disappear. When that tone of voice comes out, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure like, we'll give you guys a minute to tell and clench. But, um, <laughs> we, hey, we all have our tones that, that aren't we effective. Have oh, our for tones. Sure. For sure. So I can always work on that. But yeah. in the perfect world, I'm working on me. You're working on you. And we are doing some beautiful work. You know, can we carve out the answers? Yes. 
can we carve out one to two hours a week to dedicate to renovating our relationship together? So for example, I give people exercises to do between week one and week two, uh, where they do a deeper dive into rating where they are right now on what I call the passion triangle. I'm going to briefly describe that. People can take a quiz. We'll put in the show notes. Uh, they can take a quick 10 minute quiz and rate their relationship right now on the three keys to passion. Think of a triangle. The first key I call intimacy, and I'm not using intimacy as a euphemism for sex. I'm meaning the stuff I've just talked about, marital friendship, the ability to handle difficult conversations, how to take a time out if you're going to have a horrible fight and one of you's flooded and irrational or you both are, how to repair when I've done or said something uh, unwholesome and unhelpful. How do I apologize, but not just, I'm sorry, that's pretty lame. I take people through a much deeper way to reconnect. All of that, hopes and dreams, how do we parent our kids? How do we learn to negotiate life in a double kayak? That's the intimacy part of a deep, profound relationship. The second part we talked about earlier in this broadcast, and I didn't name it thrill, but that's thrill. That's the falling in love, crazy in love, spontaneous desire, excitement part that fades because uh, novelty equals thrill. And I've done this 57 times makes it less thrilling Mm -hmm. unless we show up with that mind of focus and presence and a new mind. So you guys into chocolate at all? Yeah. Eh, it's okay. all right. What do you love? Coffee, tea, chocolate, something small and delicious. Anything? Um, I was thinking nipples. Okay, uh, <laughs> nipples. Perfect. We'll go with that. Small we've got, and delicious. We've got chocolate, chocolate, nipples. Imagine right now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and do this. I'm going to wow. ask everybody who's not driving to close their eyes and do this. That's Andrew's just bringing this entire <laughs> time. It's just been nipples. Awesome. Nipples. Awesome. He's a one track man. The rest of us, Andrew, are going to work with chocolate. But you do you. I'm just not into chocolate either. That <laughs> Fair enough. Help. Fair enough. He, he, it's possible he's blushing a little bit right now. He <laughs> is. He's turning red. It's I love awesome. it. awesome. I'm going to hide behind my pop really filter. Really adorable. But he's also got final edits, so he's not really that worried. <laughs> oh, <true>. oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to call my non-existent agent, and if this piece is edited out, I'm going to sue your ass. Okay. Oh, okay. nice. Right. It'll stay. Okay. That, that, uh, you know, just keep in We can't real. afford a lawsuit. Yeah. Okay. We're going to do a 30-second meditation on thrill close your eyes if you're not driving if it's safe to do so and we're going to use chocolate except for andrew i want you to imagine that someone gives you a tiny sliver of the most exquisite chocolate that your taste buds would desire maybe a belgian truffle maybe a dark chocolate with some uh, dried cranberries in maybe milky smooth soft chocolate whatever it is for you it's not in your mouth yet But notice what's happening in your mouth as you imagine a sliver of the most exquisite chocolate. And now I want you to imagine taking that chocolate and placing it on your tongue and just allowing it to melt there. Mm. Mm -hmm. Notice what happens in the mind as you focus. Just focus on that imaginary texture, the smoothness, maybe the coarseness and the taste, the taste as you allow it to coat your tongue. And now you can open your eyes. I need a towel. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, what did you observe, John? Just immediately like saliva went up, mm-hmm. you know, tingling in the tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, like the brain actually thought the chocolate was already in my mouth. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. that's presence. Yeah. That's focus. Now, if I were to give you, I wish I had some, a beautiful piece of chocolate right now. Would you say, ah, I've eaten a lot of chocolate before. There's no thrill anymore. I uh, know. But that's what we do with our love and our sexual right. life. Yeah. Right? For sure. I've done that a whole bunch of times. It's not thrilling anymore. Right. So there's a beautiful little 30 second, and we yeah, all like want to know how it was for Andrew. <laughs> <I know. laughs> he's, he's left the room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There'll be a pause for station identification, uh, and then we'll get back on track. That's beautiful. That's called spontaneous desire, by the way. Well done, Andrew. Thank what a you. student. Just picture a chocolate covered nipple. Yeah. <laughs> Baby, I'm coming home. Okay. That's going to be the name of my next book. Thanks, guys. Can I copy? Copyright that chocolate covered nipple. You got it. <laughs> Perfect. So that's the second thing I teach couples, which is how to create chocolate, uh, chocolate, chocolate nipples. Oh, we are devolving rapidly. <laughs> how to create thrill and excitement here and now using your mind and right. your focus. And, um, yeah. you know, bless that no one listening ever has a tragic, scary moment where your partner is almost lost to you. But I had one three weeks ago, and many of us will. Three weeks ago, I was in my uh, therapy office here in, in on Vancouver Island working with a couple. And it was one of the warm nights about three, four weeks ago. And so I had the window ajar. And as I'm working with this couple, it's about 4.30, quarter to five in the evening, I hear sirens. And I hear sirens. And I hear freaking sirens. Like, honestly, for four, five, six minutes. I now know it was first the volunteer fire department, then it was ambulance or police, and after that was either ambulance or police. And I'm working with a couple in flow and unbidden, something pops into my head like a Charlie Brown thought bubble. And it says, I'm going to call my partner. I don't generally disclose his name publicly, so I'll call him, um, call, call him Fred. And a thought bubble pops into my head that says, Fred is dead. Mm-hmm. Like freaky freaking weird. And, mm-hmm. and I kind of shake my head, not really, because I'm working with a couple, but I internally give my head a shake, think that's a crazy irrational thought, and I drop kick it out of my head. I continue the session with the couple. For about another hour and 15, we finish up. They're in the waiting room putting on their shoes, and we're just chit-chatting a little on their way out the door. And one of them says, you know, have you noticed how, actually, I said it, have you noticed how bad the deer are this year? Like, be careful when you drive out, because there's always three or four deer right on my little little cul-de-sac there. And they said, yeah. I said, you know, I've been lucky enough. I've never hit a deer, uh, but I'm afraid it's only a matter of time. And the husband says, yeah, I hit one. It was really sad and really upset me. And the wife says, I've been lucky so far. They go. I go downstairs. My husband's there looking like a bag of hammers. Turns out the sirens were him. He had swerved to hit a deer, uh, totaled our Honda Element truck. It had Mm. gone on its side because he swerved, hit a rock, it flipped the car on its side, it slid and it stopped before it went down the cliff. He was almost entirely unscathed. He had sort of a slightly scraped elbow. Thank you, Honda engineers and airbags. All the side airbags Mm. went off. So he basically fell on pillows instead of what I don't want to think about. It was about Mm. three or four weeks ago. We're all good. Everything's fine. Perfectly fine. Finally bought another vehicle this weekend. The moral of the story is wake-up calls. Mm -hmm. Don't wait for a wake-up call. It makes my voice shake, makes me emotional. It should make all of us emotional. Mm -hmm. Don't wait for a wake-up call to fall in love again. Don't wait for a wake-up call to decide to make thrill important again, to decide that I'm going to remember you're the most delicious piece of chocolate in the whole freaking world, and I want to lick you all over like a nipple, she said, (laughs) bringing it on home. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, cancer, the death of a friend, one of your children getting critically ill, uh, life, COVID, your parents passing away, just regular life that's going to happen to all of us. Don't wait for that. 
to recreate thrill. That's the second part of the passion triangle. The third we've mainly focused on today, and I call that the sensuality side of the passion triangle. And that's all things erotic, touch-based, cuddling, holding hands. Uh, one of the things I love to do when we're driving, whoever's driving, is the passenger often puts their hand on the driver's knee and there's just contact, you know? So that's the passion triangle. You can rate yourself using the little quiz link below if you want. It's just free, it takes under 10 minutes. And you can rate yourself currently. And if you're in Marriage Incorporated, the way the majority of listeners, probably more than 50%, probably up 60, 70% is my educated guess, will find you're in Marriage Incorporated. So you've got lots of intimacy. They're your best friend. You like going grocery shopping together. You parent your kids pretty well. You got your stuff, but you're not looking to leave necessarily, but your thrill and your sensuality are low. And the idea is through the work I do and through the work we're bringing to people right now is get intentional about increasing wherever your relationship is currently not so strong so you can create an exceptional relationship instead of settling for fine. Well, and that's, that's where my question comes is, is for, those, for those people listening right now, perhaps it's even a couple listening together and perhaps that's a good idea, folks, to, to listen to this episode with your partner. Um, because you know, like, like in a kayak, you're going to hear different things, yeah. right? In tr- instead of trying to listen to the episode and then try and tell them what you thought, you know, what you got from it, listen to it together. That might yield some, some good wisdom. But the question I have is for those couples listening who, who want what you're describing, they want the triangle, they, they want all the things, they want the chocolate nipple, they want it all, you know, <laughs> they want to be present. They want to get to that place of euphoria again, where they see each other and they, they feel that, that tingling on the tongue. Yeah. They want to get there, but there's been a break of trust. Yeah. Perhaps there's been an affair, yep. um, which, which happens a lot. Perhaps there's been a break of trust in the bedroom, which they've never recovered from. Perhaps yep. there's been, um, perhaps the break of trust happened before they got together and they're still not healed from it. How can they move forward and, and, and what's the hope that you can give them um, to move forward? That's a beautiful question. And the term I like to use around break of trust, which is also a great term, by the way, but I like to use the word betrayal. I tend to stay away from the word affair because it's so pejorative in our uh, culture. And if, you know, I've cheated on you, I'm evil and bad and the cheater, and you're the innocent victim who had absolutely right. nothing to do with our whole relationship and played no role at all in the terrible thing I did. Right. So I don't tend to say affair once I've contextualized it the way we are now. I tend to say the betrayal, and that can certainly be a sexual betrayal, an emotional affair, a sexual affair. Uh, even for some people, discovering their partner has a masturbation life or a pornography life feels like a tremendous betrayal. It can be a financial trust betrayal. You gamble away the $50,000 we've saved painstakingly for two decades for our kids' education. It can be a betrayal of my feelings being hurt where you betray having my back and instead of standing up for me against your parents who don't like me, you take their side. So betrayal. I love that. All the things, not necessarily sexual betrayal, right. but everything to do with sex. Right. And I love what yeah. you wisely said is yeah. the betrayals may have been in the bedroom where I said, Hey, yeah. I'd, I'd kind of really like to try anal sex. And you go, Oh, that's disgusting. What's wrong with you? And I never bring it up again. Right. And it can be betrayals, as you very wisely said, that predate before I ever met you Yeah. where I had, you know, I was just shamed as a kid for my body type. Yeah, and I, yeah. I bring in the sense that I, you know, I don't dare be naked in the daylight with you because you'll make fun of me. That we can think of as a betrayal of yourself. It can, of course, be more overt physical or sexual abuse or a really crappy previous partner that belittled you all the time. So what do we do with the 
big percentage of couples who are dealing with real life, which is I've got some blocks in me. Mm-hmm. I've got some pain points in me. Can we recover? First, I'm going to talk to everybody listening who's had some sort of sexual or romantic betrayal, what we might call an affair. I've had the privilege to help so many couples recover from affairs, and I'm going to give a hopeful statistic based on the research of affair recovery. More than 50% of couples where there's an overt sexual affair that's discovered, more than half of those couples, if they're in a committed relationship, common law, committed in some other way, or married, do stay together. Mm-hmm. That surprised most of us as humans mm-hmm. for sure. when yeah. we heard it, because I think all of us have an unwritten invisible ink agreement or a very clear spoken agreement along the lines of, if you ever cheat on me, it's over, no question. And the person who's the betrayed, I would say one of the most profound, beautiful things I've seen a betrayed person do is say, it's sort of the Christian term would be, love the sinner, hate the sin. You know, I love you, I believe in you. What you've done is devastating. I'm gonna attempt to recover from it. And when I work with couples in affair recovery, probably about 10% of the couples who went through the online immersion, that was their presenting issue. There's been an affair, affair we've decided to try to work on it, we're devastated and in some somewhere on that long path of re- recovery. And we wanna learn what went wrong, how it went wrong, and what responsibility we both, and that's a controversial thing to say, but I don't care, it's accurate. What responsibility we both take in our relationship that created conditions where the affair happened. Um, what can I say in a, in a quick way? Don't give up hope. And let me say this, society is wrong. If your partner has betrayed your trust through a sexual or emotional affair, you were not a fool to stay with them. It's absolute, and I'm gonna use strong language, it's absolute bullshit that once a cheater, always a cheater. Mm. There's nothing to show that that is true. I would put forward the, the, the men and women I've worked with sitting on my couch sobbing, not the betrayed, but the betrayer, the person who's stepped outside their monogamous commitment, saying, Cheryl, I am the last person ever, ever who would have done this. I loathe dishonesty. I, if you'd asked me, I would, have, I would have pledged my kid's life that I would never have betrayed my beloved in this way. I don't know what happened. And I say, well, and I don't say it facetiously. I say it super kindly, but I say, well, we do know what happened. At some point there was a decision mm-hmm. and you unzipped. Mm-hmm. What we need to know is why. <laughs> why? Uh, was it as simple as no novelty? excitement. Someone found me interesting again. That's the biggest cause. Hmm. Someone says, you know, Hey Cheryl, how's your day? I'd love to hear about your day. You're such a fascinating person. And maybe sweetheart says, uh, did you pick up cat food? Yeah. Day after day after day, (laughs) because we're not cultivating the thrill. We're not making love intentional. We're not honoring our bond to say, Oh my goodness. You know, in, in a in a finger snap, as you've just heard, I could have lost my husband a month ago if that truck had gone down the cliff. I think things would not have gone particularly well. I don't want to get complacent because, you know, a lot of good things conspired and he wasn't really hurt. And the deer and her baby are fine. Oh, good. It's <laughs> an important part of the story. It is a very important part of the story. Uh, so what am I saying? Don't give up hope. You're not a fool if you stay with someone who's betrayed you. What you are is brave and you're a 
freaking hero. You're a hero of intimacy. You're a hero of vulnerability. You're a hero of being not so caught in your fear, rage, anger, and judgment that you can't see beyond it to this beautiful, wounded, imperfect person you chose and that they can't see beyond to the beautiful, wounded person you are. And believe me, they know because they're the source of your current wound. Their decisions and actions are what are wounding you. So take heart. This is a very individual decision. Also take heart if you're the betrayer and you know for you the correct, self-caring, brave, heroic thing to do is to say, I love you. I don't believe I'm going to be able to recover from this in a way that's going to be healthy for us. We need to kindly figure out how to let our relationship go. That's also a beautiful route and you need to figure out for yourself where you're at. And just to be clear, because I haven't been, when I'm talking about a fair recovery, I need two people, count them, two people who are involved in that. I need the person who's betrayed at some point to be on board to do deep affair recovery work. Uh, they've got to be willing to give up all contact to the affair person, which they might not be ready to do in the beginning, and that's okay, because they need to grieve. People hate to hear this if they're betrayed partner, but the betrayer often needs to grieve the person they also had something with, particularly if it was deep. If it was in a, you know, cliche one night stand on a business trip with someone you didn't know their last name, there might not be grief there for the person or the relationship, but there might be grief for the longing for, for the days where we were footloose and fancy free, the longing for the days where we could have the excitement of a new partner. So it's a very multifaceted, complex thing. And please, everybody listening, I'm going to be a little tough here and I may lose a few of you, but that's okay. I'm willing to do that for the greater good. Shelve your damn judgments about anybody else shelve your judgments if one of your friends has the guts to tell you they're dealing with an affair or a betrayal don't jump on the partner hating bandwagon how dare you judge your relationship you're not part of it just love your friend whether they're the betrayer or the betrayed just say i don't understand i've got a lot of powerful feelings this triggers for me makes me feel really angry at your sweetheart but i know i don't understand i'm here for you i'm going to try to be here for them if i can Try not to project our own terror of being betrayed Mm. on our friend and say, you know, John, once a cheater, always a cheater. You got to leave that person. You deserve better. Shut the hell up and listen. (laughs) Be a great friend and just know we're all just bozos on this bus. That's a phrase I love to repeat. It was from a former partner of mine. When I would, uh, at some point I was being tough on myself about failing something I thought was important. Like I lost my temper really badly or, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a shitty Buddhist because I'm behaving a certain way. And he said, you know, Cheryl, we're all just bozos on this bus. We're trying to get there the best way we can. Well, we're trying sh- to figure it out. And shut the hell up and listen, boy, oh boy, could that <laughs> heal culture. My God. <laughs> Yeah. Social media and no yeah. one's listening. Yeah. Like And everyone's judging. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Um, have we hit our time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, We haven't got to tantric multiple <laughs> orgasms yet. We're only guess, in the first stage here. <laughs> guess we'll have to have you back then. Yeah, no, I mean, there's so much so much great stuff to cover here. Um, there's so much wisdom to, to share. And luckily, people can get more of it from you with, without just having to listen to us. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate um, the the idea of hope that you you're, you're bringing the, the lack of judgment because it doesn't help anything. And the, the point you made a few minutes ago about how important it is um, to, to not wait for, for, for it to be too late yeah. um, to take advantage of it. If, I mean, we all know our relationships inside and out. And, and if we feel that something is missing or lacking, then 
then it's time now to, mm-hmm. to do the work. And we talk about doing the work a lot and mm-hmm. on different topics and, and we know what work needs to be done and, and we need to prioritize that. So, so if that's resonating for people, I mean, it's, it's, it's now's the time. Don't and wait. Now's the and time. now really is the time. Cause this is a bit of a pitch also for you. You have a wonderful program coming out. That, that will actually, by the time you hear this, listeners, it'll, it'll be coming out. I think the following week it begins. Yep. And yep. so do you want to give like a little, uh, you know, 30 sure. second version or a 30 second pitch or, or we, can, sure. we can put the website up too? I do a couple things. And what I encourage everybody listening, if you, this resonates in any way, is to take the quiz and rate yourself or sign up for free weekly teachings. I send out to your inbox little videos about three to five minutes long with sort of a tip of the week and inspiration, the sort of thing you're hearing here. Um, but anyone who's interested in, in going deeper in this is this feels like a fit, please join me for my next session. I probably won't be teaching it again for about another year, but it starts uh, on November 1st this year. We're recording this uh, just at the tail end of September. And what that is is the immersion program I've talked about. So it's an eight-week program where I send out weekly curriculum uh, videos, uh, homework sheets. I call them home play because let's face it, who wants to work on your relationship? <laughs> right, right. Homework's an ugly word. Home play sheets, exercises, and you, you take deep dives into a lot of the topics we've covered today and because the personal touch with me and the accountability is so important for education and we all know behavior change is freaking hard so every week I teach uh, an extra coaching live and I also do Q&A with the couples live and it's anonymous you don't have to come on screen or tell anyone your name so it's an immersion and I developed it because and this is controversial I have to be careful how I phrase it Couples therapy is extraordinary. I've been a couples therapist seeing couples for a long time. But there are ways to move the dial forward that are more effective for behavior change. And that's an immersive process, which this is for eight weeks, and then follow-up and accountability and the ability to go back and review the material over and over. You get lifetime access to it. So that's the Become Passion program. I'll be teaching some free workshops through October online. You can join. We'll put the link below. And if it feels right for you, let me know your questions. I'll answer them. And I'd love to welcome a, a lot of folks into the program. Um, it's a real joy. It's such a privilege what I get to do. People let me into their hearts. They let me into their minds. They let me metaphorically into their bedrooms to their deepest hopes and dreams and vulnerabilities. And um, it's just a really blessed honor to be here with you guys, to hopefully help uh, you with your beautiful partners and to just reassure everybody if you know we're going to sum up the episode it's chocolate nipples and um you are normal for sure you Mm. are not broken or doomed you are normal just like fitness or anything else it takes investment and intention and effort to create something magnificent Mm. awesome well let's leave it there and and thank you for everything you've given and, and continue to give cheryl we appreciate it very much absolutely thanks so much pleasure and that's the episode thanks for listening everybody if you'd like to continue the conversation you can find us at all the usual places obstaclecoursepodcast.com we're very active on social media instagram and facebook at obstacle course podcast and speaking of facebook we have a great new growing community called the obstacle course community that you can join dialogue with andrew and i and your fellow listeners about the previous week's episode and any obstacles you're dealing with and we do appreciate reviews whether it's on itunes google Facebook, whatever. It helps people find the podcast. And it has nothing to do with our fragile eagles. Well, uh, you know, we just like to hear back from great people just like yourself. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep pushing through those obstacles.